Welcome to the Red Letter Christians podcast. Red Letter Christians gets our name from the Bibles that highlight the words of Jesus in red. And we're aspiring to live as if Jesus meant the stuff he said. We know that the loudest, most prominent voices representing Christianity in America haven't always been the most beautiful or the most faithful voices. And we know that the way we change the narrative is by changing the narrators. We are committed to amplifying the voices of people who are dedicated to Jesus and to justice. Hello, everybody. My name is Shane Claiborne, and I'm your host, Red Letter Christians, which we like to say we're aspiring to live as if Jesus meant the stuff he said. And we get our name from the Bibles that have the words of Jesus highlighted in red. Uh, and we, you know, we, I'm just coming out of this event that we did in New York City, I want to tell you about. And it, and first of all, several years ago, Red Letter Christians and many others gathered faith leaders, pastors, bishops, authors, musicians, and we read one of Dr. King, Dr. Martin Luther King's uh, iconic speeches entitled Beyond Vietnam, It's Time to Break the Silence. And uh, he, he the speech is so powerful that we read it together virtually a few years ago. And then we said, that was so good. We should do it in person. And then we said, what if we did it at Riverside church in New York city, where he uh, gave that speech, you know, over 50 years ago. And then we said, what if Dr. King's daughter, Bernice King, Reverend Bernice King would join us. And that dream came true this month. We gathered on the, uh, 55th anniversary of that speech, and I'm going to read you some excerpts from it. And we we divided it up into like 30 different parts and read uh, the speech together with this beautiful cloud of witnesses, in, including uh, Dr. King's daughter, Bernice King. And uh, one of the things about this speech, if you haven't read it, is that this is the speech where Dr. King names America's triplets of evil. And he names those triplets of evil as racism, materialism, and militarism. And, and that they're, they're deeply connected. In that speech, he also um, talks about America's exceptional addiction to violence. And uh, he, he calls America the greatest purveyor of violence in the world. Uh, so you can see why it's controversial, but I didn't know how controversial it was <laughs> until we got there. And, you know, we're hearing from uh, Bernie's King about how all of Dr. King's own board members opposed him, except for one, Reverend Otis Moss II, who's still alive. But all the other board members were against this particular speech uh, and him speaking out against the war. Uh and, and not only that, but his popularity began to tank. Folks began to really stand against him. And you see, you know, that it was exactly one year later that he was assassinated. And, you know, we had this way of kind of memorializing Dr. Martin Luther King with monuments and postal stamps. <laughs> but one of his uh, peers that was there with us said it, that, he doesn't think a single quote from the, the Beyond Vietnam speech that we read is on the King Memorial in D.C. And you often don't hear this part of King, the, the radical King, the 
part that doesn't get sanitized and uh, kind of, uh, you know, everyone loves the I have a dream speech, but I and I do, too. But I think this is one of his most powerful speeches. And let me just read you a, a, a few quotes from it that we read uh, in, in New York City this past month. Uh, doc, these are Dr. King's words in 1967. He said, I knew that I could never again raise my voice against the violence of the oppressed in the ghettos without having first spoken clearly to the greatest purveyor of violence in the world today, my own government. And you can see why, you know, he became unpopular, uh, in, in, but naming that as naming the United States as one of the greatest purveyors of violence in the world might seem a little uh, extreme um, to some folks, but I want to invite you to think this is a different version of American exceptionalism, right? There's a lot of folks that talk about American exceptionalism that as uh, that, that America has some divine anointing uh, to uh, this, this kind of calling in the world to be a beacon of freedom and light and this exceptional call uh, some have called America the last best hope on earth. And that's where I think Dr. King speaks so powerfully because he said, the, the King said, don't let anyone make you think America is God's messianic force to be reckoned with, you know, the policeman of the whole world. <laughs> and now as we see, you know, multiple wars and the overextension of the U.S. military, our capacity for violence is exceptional. And in fact, um, before we write off King, you know, his assessment of the U.S. as the uh, greatest purveyor of violence, just consider this. Of 196 countries in the world, only nine of them have nuclear weapons. And 93% of the nuclear weapons of our world are owned by two countries. 93% owned by two countries, the U.S. and Russia. And so as we're seeing the possibility of an escalating kind of global war, uh, once again, we're reminded that these weapons, these weapons, y'all, are multiple times more powerful, some of them a hundred times more lethal than the Hiroshima bomb. And the U.S. has the capacity of over a hundred thousand Hiroshima bombs. We have the biggest, you know, stockpile uh, of, of weapons in the world, along with Russia. And we've got the largest military budget in the world. The U.S., it takes the next 10 countries combined to add up to the military spending of the U.S. In the U.S., our military spending, uh, this, the Pentagon spends more in three seconds than the average American makes in a year. So, you, you know, here's where Dr. King says this. A country that spends more money year after year on military defense than on programs of social uplift is approaching a spiritual death. Ooh, come on, y'all. He said that at, at Riverside, that the country that spends more money on military defense than on programs of social uplift is approaching a spiritual death. And so as we think about uh, our, our country, um, the U.S., I want to invite all of you around the world to be praying for us in our um, addiction to violence, what Dr. King named so well, uh, that not only have we, uh, do we have such massive military capacity, but we also have this obsession with guns, 
right? And uh, we in the U.S., we have about 5% of the world's population, but we have almost half of the world's civilian-owned guns. Almost half the world's guns in this one country that has 5% of the world's population. We have, y'all, five times more gun dealers than McDonald's restaurants. Five times more gun dealers. We have, we're producing guns at this rate. We, we produce one gun every three seconds in the U.S. 26,000 guns a day, nine and a half million guns a year. Think about that. And we're exporting these guns. We're exporting these weapons. The countries, uh, companies like Lockheed Martin are profiting from war after war after war. And so as we think of you know, uh, some 150 countries that have had arms contracts with, the, with U.S. Uh, companies, um, it, it's not an exaggeration to grieve the violence here in the U.S. or to say that we're, you know, the greatest purveyor of violence in the world today, as Dr. King said. Uh, you know, as we think of 9-11, uh, September 11th was one of those points where we experienced the blowback of violence. The terrible tragedy of 9-11 took over 3,000 lives. But then our response to that was to start going to war with Iraq and Afghanistan, despite the fact that we now know 15 of the 19 hijackers responsible for 9-11 came from Saudi Arabia, and we're still selling weapons to Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia is, Saudi Arabia is the biggest buyer of, of weapons, the biggest contractor of weapons sold from the United States. So, you know, this idea that Jesus said, you live by the sword, you will die by the sword. I mean, we have proved those words right over and over again. And we think of Jesus disarming Peter as he picked up a sword to protect Jesus. Uh, and Jesus says, no, you live by the sword, you die by the sword. Put that away. Enough. And I think there's a lot of us saying today, enough. It's, it's you know, so tragic what the Ukraine, uh, what, what Russia is doing in Ukraine right now. And yet we also think the U.S., has sort of a log in our own eye, as Jesus would say, you know, our own country's eye uh, when it comes to nuclear weapons. We're the only country that has ever used nuclear weapons, uh, and we dropped them on civilian populations twice in one week in Hiroshima and Nagasaki. So this is the true, you know, tragic version of American exceptionalism is our exceptional embrace of violence. So if you haven't read this speech of Dr. King. I want to invite you to check out, I mean, you can watch actually the whole reading of the speech that we did uh, this past month on the anniversary of it. But it was also another anniversary this this past March and April. It was the anniversary of our war in Iraq as we began dropping over 900 bombs a day on Iraq. And as some of you know, I was there with the Iraq peace team, uh, uh, trying to be a part of the resistance, trying to be a part of uh, those who are calling for peace and standing against the war. And we lived there in Iraq as those bombs were being dropped, killing thousands and thousands of people. Uh, I remember going to a hospital outside of Baghdad, and this doctor who was holding this young girl whose body was 
just riddled with missile fragments. And he said, the doctor said this, violence is for a world that has lost its imagination. Mm, Powerful, right? Violence is for a world that has lost its imagination. And I want to tell you, we're invited into a different imagination that, that, it doesn't try to live by the sword and die by the sword. That's actually trying to, as Jesus said, be the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they are the children of God. And we live in a wor- world with way too much war and violence. Even in the U.S., uh, uh, you know, we kind of think of, of uh, the, the, all of our military spending. It's not just a partisan problem either. Um, it's important to remember that uh, even as George Bush uh, started the war in Iraq, Barack Obama raised the military budget of Barack Obama. Uh, and in fact, in 2016, we dropped 26,000 bombs, an average of three bombs every hour when Barack Obama was president. So this isn't a partisan thing. You know, Obama raised Bush, Bush's budget, uh, then uh Trump raised Obama's budget, and now Biden has raised Trump's budget. And you think, what would Jesus say to that? I think Jesus would weep over America just as he wept over Jerusalem, because it says that we don't know the things that will lead to peace. And I think Dr. King, you know, would that line, a, a nation that continues to spend more money on military defense than on programs of social uplift is approaching a spiritual death of powerful words. Uh, and, and, you know, King in this Riverside speech, he talks about how we, you know, we can't tell the, the young people that violence won't solve their problems when they resort to violence uh, without also calling out the violence of our government. Uh, which continues to resort to violence. And, you know, the other thing that Dr. King does, he does so many powerful things in this speech, but he, uh, he talks about the irony that we're sending African-American young people over to Southeast Asia to fight for liberties that we haven't even been able to guarantee here in the United States. And these are Dr. King's words. He says, uh, so we've repeatedly faced, we're, we're faced with the cruel irony of watching Negro children and white boys on TV screens as they kill and die together for a nation that has been unable to seat them together in the same schools. <laughs> right? So we we think that we're, we're this this real, this speech is an invitation to, get the kind of log out of our own country's eye um, and, and to say we need to reckon with the violence that we seem to be addicted to and to continually embrace. Uh, as we think of Dr. King's uh, life, I mean, he, he, he had this powerful encounter with Gandhi. I don't know if you know that, but, you know, he, that's part of where uh, on this pilgrimage to hang out with Gandhi that he, he began to really uh, build an even stronger foundation for his commitment to nonviolence, his belief that, you know, violence cannot drive out violence, that love uh, is the solution to uh, this broken world. And um, that, that commitment to nonviolence, of course, you know, ended up uh, costing Dr. King and Gandhi their lives. I mean, they were both assassinated. And you, you think the, the, we're good at killing the prophets, right? But this message, 
we've got to take up the mantle. And I think what Dr. King would like more than a monument is for us to continue the movement uh, that he died for, this movement of nonviolence, of love for all people. And as we think of uh, the words of Dr. King, I just want to uh, let you listen to a few more of those words from the Riverside speech that we read this last week. And uh, uh, one of the uh, people who was there for the original speech uh, over 50 years ago was there with us and read some of these words of, of Dr. King. We also had um, uh, pastors and clergy from around the country reading them. So here are the words of Dr. King from his powerful speech uh, beyond Vietnam. I'm convinced that if we are to get on the right side of the world revolution, we as a nation must undergo a radical revolution of values. We must rapidly begin the shift from a thing-oriented society to a person-oriented society. When machines and computers, profit motives, and property rights are considered more important than people, the giant triplets of racism, extreme materialism, and militarism are incapable of being conquered. Ooh. We've got to move from being a thing-oriented society to a person-oriented society. Uh, we've got to make sure that people matter over profits. And Dr. King, also in the, in the speech, he critiques our... Uh, Charity, when charity isn't coupled with a pursuit of justice. See, you know, we're very good at, at doing charity, but not always as good at doing justice. We're good at caring for the victims without doing something about the conditions that lead to the victims. So the, the Dr. King talks about the Good Samaritan, the story of lifting our neighbor out of the ditch. But listen to this. He says, on the one hand, we are all called to play the Good Samaritan on life's roadside, but that will be only an initial act. One day we've got to see that the whole road to Jericho must be transformed so that men and women will not be constantly beaten and robbed as they make their journey on life's highway. True compassion, says Dr. King, is more than flinging a coin to a beggar. It comes to see that an edifice which produces beggars needs restructuring. <laughs> so we need to be people of compassion, but we also need to be people who do justice, who do justice and love mercy and walk humbly with our God, as, as Micah says. And one of my mentors, uh, Dr. John Perkins, he says, you know, we, we, we all know the cliche that if you give someone a fish, they'll eat for a day. If you teach them to fish, they'll eat for the rest of their life. But we've also got to ask, who owns the pond? <laughs> We've got to do something about access to the pond. We've got to do something about the fact that the pond is getting polluted. And it doesn't matter if you know how to fish, if the fish that you catch make you sick. So all of this work is connected. 
So yeah, we need to give people fish and do the work of charity. We need to teach people to, to fish and do the work of community development and empowerment. But we also need to ask who owns the pond and do the work of justice. We need to reimagine the road to Jericho, or as Desmond Tutu said, uh, we, we need to live people out of the river, but you got to go upstream sometimes too and figure out uh, why people keep ending up in the ri river to begin with. Oh, yes, it's a beautiful thing uh, that Dr. King and so many others that, you know, they connect this uh, passion uh, for loving our neighbor with the beautiful work of justice in the world. And, uh, uh, you know, as you uh, think about our calling today, I think our calling is to be an interruption to the things in this world, the triplets of evil, or maybe today they're the, the quintuplets of evil. Maybe you can name a couple more, but racism, materialism, militarism, uh, the, the environmental destruction, the destruction of our world. Uh, the, these things are all very connected to each other. And to be a follower of Jesus is to not conform to the patterns of injustice. That's why one of the things I love about Dr. King is he, you know, he ended up going to jail. And uh, uh, he said, at first, when I, I went to jail, I was troubled. But then I looked at history and saw what good company I am in. <laughs> Those holy troublemakers, the folks who, who are the prophets and the, uh, the, uh, the, the champions of justice often end up going to jail. Uh, and yet uh, we can smile in our mug shots, as John Lewis said, because we know that we are on the right side of history. And what happens is if you imagine a world that is different than the world we live in right now, it stirs up things. It, it, it's, it, it, it challenges the status quo. I love that scripture in Romans that says we are not to conform to the patterns of this world, but we are to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. We're to live with a different ima imagination. Uh, or as Dr. King said, you know, at one point someone uh, threw an insult to him and said, you're maladjusted. And he took that insult and spun it on its head and took it as a compliment. And he said, uh, I'm paraphrasing him a little bit, but you know, when they said you're maladjusted, Dr. King said, Maybe I am maladjusted because we live in a world that has become way too adjusted to injustice. We become way too adjusted to racism and poverty and inequity. Uh, we need some holy maladjusted people in the world today. So that's what I want to invite you to be is to not conform to the pattern of this world not to conform to the patterns of segregation, the patterns of inequity, uh, the patterns of violence, of choosing the sword instead of the cross. Let's be God's maladjusted people. And it might get us in trouble. It might get us killed like it did for Gandhi or Dr. King and Jesus. It might get us in a little bit of trouble, but we are not meant to just conform to this world. We are called to transform this world, uh, not just to accept the world as it is, but to imagine the world as God wants it to be. So thank you for this little time to reflect on Dr. King and his powerful words. Uh, I'll leave you with uh, the last words of that speech. Uh, and by the way, I was just, it was such an honor to work with so many friends, my friend, Michael McBride, 
uh, from Live, the Live Free campaign and Pastor Tracy Blackman. We were the main organizers of that, but we had so many wonderful people together in New York as we read this speech. And it ends um, with, with Dr. King really inviting us uh, to make the right choice and to, uh, as, as we leave the show today, I'm going to leave these words of Bernie's King. Uh, reading her father's words from the Riverside speech uh, given there uh, 55 years ago. So listen to this. Now, let us begin. Now, let us rededicate ourselves to the long and bitter but beautiful struggle for the new world. This is the call of the sons of God. And our brothers wait eagerly for our response. Shall we save the odds of too great? Shall we tell them the struggle is too hard? Will our message be that the forces of American life mitigate against their arrival as full men, men and send out and we send out our deepest regrets? Or will there be enjoyed this episode of the Red Letter Christians podcast. Too often, Christians have used our faith as a ticket into heaven and a license to ignore the world we live in. But at Red Letter Christians, we believe our faith is not just about going to heaven when we die, but also about bringing heaven to earth while we live. For more information on Red Letter Christians and upcoming events, additional resources, you can go to the show notes or our website, redletterchristians.org. You can also support Red Letter Christians by giving a one-time donation or becoming a monthly sustainer. Just go to our website and click the red donate button. Thank you for being a part of this conversation and for being a part of this movement.